Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most thought-provoking topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 139th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 531st episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, September 19th, 2019. I'm your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. So this week's banner moment isn't about anything that happened on the court or on the recruiting trail. It doesn't even have anything to do with the team itself. No, this week's banner moment is about the Hoosier spirit, because at the end of the day, through all the different seasons and different players and different coaches, it is the fan base and the spirit we collectively embody that is the through line of Indiana basketball and what makes this program so special. So this week, I want to honor two Indiana fans who embody the Hoosier spirit. The first is John Malcolmson, brother of Ben Malcolmson, who you know from the Hoosier Heartland podcast and his website, Hoosiers United. John, his brother, had a stroke recently and is now in the midst of a very difficult recovery. On Wednesday, Ben posted a video on Twitter of John taking his first steps. It was both a symbol of how hard John is working in his recovery and how far he has already come and a symbol of how far he still has to go. But John is a Hoosier, which means he's a fighter and a winner, and we're all rooting for him, as I know that you are too. If you want to send any words of encouragement his way, tweet them to Assembly Call or IU Heartland, and I know that Ben will make sure he sees them. The second IU fan I want to honor is Brad Brosmer's son, Tanner. Brad sent a tweet the other day that said, quote, This is my son's test he turned in. True Hoosier fan. He couldn't answer the question without clarifying his disgust for Duke. Even got a smiley face from the teacher, unquote. Brad's tweet was accompanied by a picture that showed an English lesson of Tanner's with the question, which word has the same vowel sound as the word tube? The answers were Duke, such, and tuck. Tanner chose the correct answer, Duke, but then wrote, boo Duke, go IU, next to it. Love that clear. kid. <laughs> I knew you would. It's pretty clear that Brad is raising his son right and that Tanner is learning all of the most important lessons. Strive for excellence in your work and see Coach K's evil empire for what it is. Way to go, Tanner. So between the example of John's perseverance and grit and the Brosmer family's commendable values, this is how the Hoosier spirit gets passed from one generation to the next. And that's what really matters. It's why we all care about a bunch of college kids playing hoops anyway. The Hoosier spirit is what connects us all together. No banners would be possible, nor would they matter anyway without it. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Coach is off this week, presumably scouring tape for the next edition of Coach's Corner in our Assembly Call community. So this week we have a truly rare occurrence. All three original Assembly Call hosts actually here together to host an episode. What a concept. To my left, he is the Mike Roberts of Girls Youth Sports Coaching in Cincinnati, the President Emeritus of the Robert Johnson Fan Club, and one of the world's most renowned bracketologists. He is also my frequent partner in high-pitched laughter when Ryan says something ridiculous. That's us. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line on the last week in Indiana basketball? That was troubling, but thank you. <laughs> I thought it was uh, a hot take from the new movie, The Joker. <laughs> Could have been. Wow. Wow. And if and if that comment was funny, perhaps you would have gotten more of that laughter in real time. But, you know. <laughs> anyway, 
you know, for me, there's obviously this has been a fairly slow week uh, compared to some of the others that have been there. No commitments or anything like that. Um, but I did see something today uh, that uh, tomorrow on Friday, Eric Anderson is going to be inducted into the IU Athletics Hall of Fame. And uh, the story they put up on uh, on the IU official site had a number of uh, former teammates and coaches, you know, put in some, you know, share their thoughts about him. And, uh, you know, he unfortunately passed away in December. And a lot of these same sentiments came out uh, in the aftermath of his uh, his untimely passing. Uh, but just a couple of these things, you know, again, you, you can kind of talk about what embodies IU basketball. Uh, you know, Calvert Chaney said as a basketball player, he's one of the best I ever played with. Unselfish, caring, did whatever it took to help us win. The consummate teammate, always a positive presence on and off the floor. Uh, and then Pat Graham followed that up a little bit with, you know, he was there just one freshman of the year when uh, that, that heralded recruiting class got there. Uh, and he said, today's egos, it would be expected there would be issues. With Eric, there were no issues, no issues, no egos, no jealousy. That was who he was. He was the perfect teammate, let everything just slide off his back. Took a lot of heat over his time at IU, not so much because of his play, but for others. He never complained. He knew if we won, it just made things easier. He didn't care who got the attention or the ink. One of the best teammates I ever had the privilege of playing with. Better person than player at IU. So uh, a, a cool thing for him, unfortunately, uh, Eric will you know is not able to really uh, enjoy you know that event um, because of his uh, his untimely passing. Like I said, but uh, good chance like these to kind of remember guys who really embodied what. Uh, you know, in, in those years that so many of us really fell in love with IU basketball. And uh, so congratulations to, uh, to Eric. And I'm sure there'll be a lot, of, uh, a, lot of, a lot of cool speeches and content, I'm sure, that will come out of, uh, of his induction on Friday. One of the most underrated IU players ever, I would say. And to my right, he is a senior writer at the Big Lead, the world's most renowned unemployed shot doctor. And keep this between us, but he is the secret source for all of Michael Avenatti's accusations about Duke getting players paid by Nike. The Darth Vader of college basketball teams. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, what is your rant this week? Uh, I really am upset that you leaked that, that I was his <laughs> source. It's, you tell someone something in confidence, and uh, wow, you really expect... We're just here between well, I, friends. It's, it won't go any, any further than this. We'll, we'll talk about this later, but I, I think that the thing I'm kind of boiling to rant on and, and kind of been sitting off for a week because I was out last week... Um, is the fact it, it has to do with the the California law that was passed about uh, you know players being able to get to you know being paid for their likeness? Uh, I think that's something that we're going to get into, in, I believe the third segment, maybe late second segment of the show. But I think that's going to be a really big. It, it's something we have to talk about as sports fans. I think, and 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 I think that you know we need to talk about it. And if we're talking about it, the NCAA is finally going to start to talk about it because the NCAA has been talking about reform and changing things and understanding that they're making billions of dollars off of the backs of free labor uh, for years now. And they're starting to understand that the public kind of has a little bit of a disgust for that situation. And uh, so I think that it's it's worth fans talking about it in a rational sort of you know, nice way, you know, with each other, not arguing, just discussing it because once we start discussing it and, and, and it becomes a topic that comes up all the time and it has over the last couple of years, but really this move by California sort of puts a timetable on what, when the NCA is going to have to do something. So I will discuss this obviously in depth in a little bit, but I think it's something that if you're not, if you don't really know the issues at hand, 
if you're a sports fan, if you love college athletics, you need to familiarize yourself with it because in some ways, if you are contributing to college athletics, you need to know what your money's going to and what it's not going to and, and who it's helping keep in certain positions uh, while holding others down. So I think it's something that as a sports fan, if you want to be an intelligent sports fan, I think a lot of our listeners really like to be intelligent sports fans and be informed on every angle on stuff. Start looking into this and what it would mean and, and um, how it would impact college sports and how it wouldn't necessarily impact college sports. Um, so that's, that's my, I guess, rant for the week is just, you know, take the time to educate yourself on this because it's important and it's going to be the next major issue facing college sports over the next you know, a few years, the law would go into effect. And in, I think 2023 or something like that. So yeah. uh, there's time and there, there's a clock ticking now on the NCA to do something to sort of align itself with the, with the 21st century. All right, here's what we're going to talk about this week. We will run through a few Hoosier headlines, as we always do, that we're going to dive into Indiana's defense. How good can Indiana's defense be this year? What kind of a leap, if any, can we expect this season? We're going to talk about that. And then as Ryan alluded to, we will talk about this California law and answer your questions. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. Before we get to all that, let's talk about tickets real quick. You know, you have a lot of options when it comes to where you get your sports tickets. And this isn't an industry that is known for its growth, innovation, and customer friendliness. But with millions of live event tickets and a price match guarantee, SeatGeek proves that there is a better way. They built the fastest way to find tickets so that you can stop searching for the perfect seat and instead start enjoying it. Just look at the App Store. SeatGeek has over 50,000 five-star reviews. And the reason is because they deliver a better process for buying tickets. SeatGeek pulls together millions of tickets from all over the web, and then they rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10 with a color-coded system to show the value. Green dots mean good deals. Red dots are overpriced. Then they display the tickets on an interactive seat map so you can see right where they are. And every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone because it's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. I told you that my wife and I were thinking about taking our daughter to her first concert, and we just bought the tickets. And yes, I use SeatGeek, of course. Get a brother, get some coupons. Of course you can. Best of all, SeatGeek will even give you $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is use our promo code. So download the SeatGeek app today and use the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first purchase. All right, gentlemen, let's talk through uh, a few Hoosier headlines here real quick. Again, no you know, massive headlines, no commitments, anything like that. Um, but I was excited to see that Calvert Chaney will be honored at Hoosier Hysteria. He's being inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame on November 24th, so they'll be honoring him. That is obviously cool. Romeo Langford was fully cleared for the 2019-20 season. Uh, obviously great news. 24-7 Sports released their updated rankings for the class of 2021. A lot of Indiana flavor on there. Christian Lander and Trey Kaufman both moved up. Lander, I believe, is 11th. Trey Kaufman now in the top 30 at 29, so his rapid rise continues but really, Ryan, I, you know, start with you. I think the, the big headline this week was recruiting as Indiana continues to go out and target both a big man and a point guard in this class. Dawson Garcia, the kind of borderline four-star, five-star big man, released his top seven. IU is in that top seven, along with North Carolina, Kansas, Marquette, Memphis, Minnesota, and Arizona. There's no IU official scheduled yet, but it does seem like you know one will get scheduled. Uh, and then they continue to go hard after point guards. Hassan Diaria, Andre Cabello, there might be another one in there that I'm forgetting about. But even though it, the Hoosiers project to have just one scholarship for that class, it certainly looks like Archie Miller is hell-bent on trying to get a big man and a point guard if he can. 
what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of that strategy and the concept of maybe, you know, accepting a fifth commitment, even if you don't have that scholarship projected to be available? Yeah. I mean, this is another one of those things where these things seem to work themselves out. We, we, we've talked about that before. Um, you know, there are times where, uh, IU fans will ask us like, well, we have too many players committed and all this stuff. Th- those things, they work themselves out. And I think that coaches typically have a pretty good sense of where the wind is blowing as far as their uh, current roster goes and all of that. So um, I'm not too worried about it. I think if Archie thinks that he can get five and there'll be room for five, then there'll probably will be room for five. Um, as far as the guys that, that, you know, they're currently chasing, I think that we've heard a lot of good news on Dawson Garcia as related to IU. And if you see, uh, there was an interview, I forget who didn't, I did it. I don't want to say something can give him credit for not doing it. Um, and vice versa, you know, take that credit away from who did it. It might've been Rav Johns. Actually. I think it was Rav Johns for pigs. Did it, did an interview with Dawson Garcia. And he seemed to say a lot of really, really positive things. The things that you, uh, want to hear as an IU fan, a kid say about IU. So yeah, he's got some, tough guys to go up against UNC, Kansas, and Indiana. And Indiana are the top, uh, it looks like right there, uh, top blue bloods. Obviously, Arizona, we don't know what's going to happen with Arizona. If Arizona's still going to have the same coach in a few months, but um, going up against UNC and Kansas is always tough, but he seemed like a guy who was really into what uh, Indiana was offering. Yeah, you know, Andy, as you look at this, I mean, I think, you know, we all know that Dawson Garcia is the number one priority. And if you have a chance to get a guy of that caliber, you do it. Do you have a particular, you know, priority that you really want to see how you get him? I and do you think the big man is more important than the point guard? How do you, how are you kind of looking at this as it starts to shake out? Uh, I think in, in this case, the big man is perhaps the higher rated of them, but I think point guard might be a bigger need to be able to have somebody after fantasy. Now, I know everyone is hoping that you really just kind of have the bridge and, and kind of hand things over to Lander as things move forward in that direction. But, um, but again, you're really counting on this year. Al is essentially the, the backup point guard. It sounds like at least if you, if you base that on what Archie said and, and in theory, he could serve in the same role next season. So it probably easier to talk yourself into like, maybe you could bridge the gap a little bit, but I think point guard, um, just having another competent point guard, just given the importance of guard play college basketball feels like you want, somebody there um, that, that you can start to groom and get get a few minutes for there because there are a fair amount of you know big men on the roster if you assume that Trace will be back and Race Thompson Joey Brunk um, you know you do have a little bit of depth uh, in that part of the in that part of the roster so I guess if it was me and I only had if I was only intending to give out one I'd probably go with the point guard but um, you know you can't really pass up the chance to get a, a quality big man like Garcia as well so I think that's we talked earlier about how how helpful it will be to kind of get the guys in the fold um, that are already there because it really allows them to narrow the focus to the guys that are there. And so I think you see that. You don't hear with the 2020 class. It, it, the list of names is pretty short at this point uh, and, and really consists largely of the guys that you mentioned. So I think that's a good thing that those guys can you know get attention and that allows the staff to really focus in on that. So uh, if they want to go after both, then I think they uh, definitely will will find a way to make it all work. Yeah. And, you know, it's important to remember, and Ryan alluded to this as you project forward, you know, yes, Indiana has 
one scholarship left as you project, but there are a lot of reasons why another one could open up. You know, guys can transfer, guys can go to the NBA, you can get grad transfers. I mean, there are a ton of reasons why that can happen. And this is college basketball and guys move a lot. So I, for one, would not at all be concerned if, you know, if Dawson Garcia committed and one of the point guards committed, hey, that'd be a great problem to have. And you kind of figure it out. And for the most part, it would probably work out, you know, work itself out, as you said, Ryan. So I really, I don't think that's something to be, you know, too concerned about. You know, at this point, you know, you have those two needs. They're obviously recruiting to those needs and we'll see if they can get any commitments. Obviously, we all hope that they do. Uh, okay, let's move on to segment two here because we really want to dive into that. So coming up on the assembly call, we are going to talk defense. What reasons are there to believe that Indiana can make a jump into becoming a top 20 defense in Archie Miller's third season? There are a few, and we're going to break those down and discuss them next year on the assembly call. Stick with us. Hi, this is James Blackman Jr. I never miss an open three, and I never miss an episode of The Assembly Call. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosier. Thank you, James. Welcome back to The Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all of the between segment banner, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. All right. I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms. And guys, let's talk about defense. And, you know, we've spent a whole lot of time this offseason talking about the offense, and rightfully so. But we got a really good question in this week uh, from Jay Horry uh, that we can kind of use as a jumping off point for this discussion. So Jay says, there's been quite a bit of talk about who will score and how they will score for this team, but not much on how this team looks defensively. Indiana was 64th in adjusted defensive efficiency in Archie's first year and 39th last year after being 94th in Creens last season. How does this roster project on the defensive side of the floor? I think this group has the size, athleticism, positional awareness, and flexibility to be a top 20 defensive team. In fact, I'd be disappointed if this group wasn't a top 20 defensive team. So let's get into that. Um, you know, I've got a few reasons here why I think so, but let's let's start with you, Andy, and just get some general thoughts. You know, we've talked about, you know, and we'll get to this in a little bit about how pack line teams often take, you know, a jump in the third season and you need some experience there and all of those different things. What are you expecting from this team defensively? And can a big jump in defense help to compensate for an offense that we all think is, you know, probably going to be a little up and down at best? Yeah, it's one of those where I don't know if I'm, talking myself into this because of what you just said of where I think this team's going to really have to be carried by uh, its defense. And while we can point to a handful of things that may improve offensively, the reality is that the two guys that were relied upon the most for scoring a season ago are not there. So I think the defense has to get better. And I, th I think Jay's point around um, just how the pieces fit together and some of the versatility of the guys there, I think you look down the roster and there aren't a, a, a lot of obvious um defensive holes, if you will, just in terms of guys who haven't been able to show any kind of, uh, you know, commitment on that end of the floor. I think you've got uh, Rob certainly at the point guard position who, who showed, we were talking between the break about the Michigan state game last year. I mean, he showed what he could do there. Uh, 
Devonte has been up and down in that regard in the same way that he's been up and down offensively, but uh, definitely has a desire to be you know a good defensive player. We often go back to the comments he made before he uh, came about wanting to be one of the better defensive players in the Big Ten. Uh, Justin Smith, I think, has gotten better in that regard. Uh, Devontae has gotten a lot of mileage on the show out of yeah. that quote. <laughs> yep, he has. Well, what are you going to do? Uh, and, you know, I think Justin Archie has talked about, you know, how he was, you know, he's really evolved a lot in that from that standpoint. I think you've got a rim protector uh, in a guy like Trace where you didn't necessarily have, you know, quite have a, a strong shot blocking uh, type presence or rim protector um, like that a year ago. And, and you've got a chance, depending on what you do, of being able to play a more uh, with some of the big guys, I, I'm, I'm going to say a more normal size lineup, you know, fewer lineups with a guy that's six, seven playing center, uh, as an example, uh, should, should help as well. So I do think, you know, some of the athleticism and some of the pieces there have the, the potential to be good. I know you've got some stats around, you know, third year in pack line and all that. Um, but it's a, you know, you got fewer and fewer guys that you're having to you know train on the defensive system and more guys who have it ingrained in them a little bit more. Ryan, what are your general thoughts on the D? Here are the guys who have spent, who have now spent multiple years in this system. The list of guys: Al Durham, Justin Smith, Trace Jackson Davis, Rob Finnessy, Devontae Green, Deron Davis, Jerome Hunter, Demisey Anderson, Race Thompson have all spent multiple years in this system. Not well, Trace. Tra- 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 Trace hasn't. I'm sorry. Did I mention Trace? I'm sorry. I was just reading the roster. I mean, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's uh, you get the idea though. That's most of the roster. Almost, I think two thirds of the roster has spent more than one year in this system, and whether it's practice or not. I mean, some of those guys didn't play last year. Very, Some of those guys didn't play last year, Jerome Hunter. Some of those guys didn't play very much. You look at Demise Anderson, Ray Thompson, whatever. But they've had to run the system every day in practice. And the more comfortable you are in a system, the easier it's going to be. And I, I think that the reason for hope here is that these guys have created that chemistry when they're on the floor, hopefully, of playing in that system, playing, you know, a lot of reps and, and really getting the old way of playing defense that they might've had in their brain out. And and so that's why I think that there's that third year thing that everybody talks about with, with the pack line is that it is different than the other defense than, you know, just regular man defense or ball, you man defense. It's, it's not the same. The focuses are different and, it takes time if you run another system. It's just like running, you know, a motion offense and moving into something else, you know, sort of a set offense. The instincts aren't the same and it does take a while and it takes intelligence and it takes you a while to sort of learn all the motions, learn where you're supposed to be and make that an instinct instead of something you're thinking about. And when you're thinking on defense, you're not paying attention to something and that's where you get beat. And so it has to be an automatic thing to know where you're supposed to be, know what you're supposed to be doing, know who you're supposed to be on top of all of that stuff. And it's, it's just, you know, having played in both defenses to a degree in, in, in my life, I know how different it is and how different uh, it feels to be in one and how uncomfortable it is when you're in a system you're not used to. And so the fact that these guys have had time in the system obviously is going to make it so much easier for them. And, and so that's why I think we all project, project that the defense will continue to get better because once you iron out all of those issues and, and, and it's your instinct to be in the right place as opposed to having to think about being in the right place, you play a whole lot better. 
Yeah, and there was, I highly recommend the latest edition of Solving Basketball by a good friend of the show, uh, Jordan Sperber, who just does a great job with that podcast. And he had Luke Yaklich on, who has kind of been the quote-unquote defensive coordinator for Michigan for the last couple of years, now as the associate head coach at Texas. And he talked about some of the things that you just said, Ryan, you know, how important it is defensively. You know, you've got to understand what you're going to do, you know, emphasize the right things, be consistent with what you emphasize. And then guys need to play on instinct instead of thinking about it, and not just and, and, well, and, and not and not just what they're doing, but being able to trust their help. That's, that's the, the other thing. thing, and so that the guys who are helping know what they're supposed to do. It's really easy when you watch defense to focus on the ball, you know, and look at a guy like Rob Finnessy and talk about what he did, you know, manned up against Cassius Winston, and that was fantastic. But, you know, so much of defense is the guys that are in help positions, stunting at the right time, being in the right place, rotating at the right time. You know, Coach had, in his coach's corner, uh, in, inside the community, you know, did uh, broke down the defense that Race Thompson played on Ethan Happ. And it was really good. But there was one possession where, you know, Race went over a screen when he should have gone under it. Rob Finnessy noticed it, dropped down to help for a split second, which made Happ hesitate. Race was able to recover and alter the shot. That kind of stuff where it's instinctive and you can trust your help and, and you know, you're doing the right things, that's, that's when a defense really starts to come together and kind of plays well, as one unit. It's having a chemistry with your teammates, just like on offense, where yeah. you know where they're going to be at the right time. It's like when you see these guys who play together for three years, you know, being able to instinctively, you know, throw a no look pass because they know that that guy, when the defender does something, they're going to cut. And it's, you know, it's it's those th types of things on defense that make a better defense. It just does. And um, so I, I just think that you're right. Rob Finnessy playing great defense on Cassius Winston. Part of it's about the fact that Cassius Winston can't drive left because he knows if he drives left, he's going to get closed off and potentially even trapped or, you know, you know, whatever it is. So he tries to drive the other way and he's driving right where IU wants him to. And, you know, I mean, it's a whole lot of stuff. Great individual defense is fa is fantastic. And if you play great on ball defense, great. That's awesome. But you need to also shut down the other four guys on the floor. Uh, or, or one guy playing great defense doesn't matter. And so it's about everybody being on the same page and really defense, even more than offense. I think it has to be, it can only be successful if everybody's on the same page offense. You can have a great individual player goes and get your buckets on, on some possessions defensively. If one guy screws up, screws up everybody else and, and it can get you. We saw it a lot under Tom Crean where everybody's scrambling and the pass goes around and there's one guy wide open and there's a guy closing out just too late on a three or something. Yeah, but that like was that. by design. <laughs> well, to some degree it was, but at the same time, it, it, you know, it's about it's not about the guy who was supposed to be guarding the three point shooter. It's about the guy who missed his assignment yeah. three passes before that that caused that. And so, it, again, when you see those things and you see uh, a blown assignment, it's not necessarily the guy whose man shot the ball that screwed up. It's that guy could be helping to recover to help something else and just kind of get screwed over in the end. Yeah. Um, so, so I just think that it's defense is really a team affair and 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 that that old adage that you know you win as a team you lose as a team that is no more clear than it is on defense and basketball yeah and you know this is why virginia the first two seasons of tony bennett 71st 71st then up to fifth in his third season then 25th and fourth and you know they've been in the top five ever since arizona went from 108 to 67 to 37 then they were 37 the next year then fifth you know indiana 64 32 and remember with arizona 20 
the years that they dropped off, they lost a lot of guys too, yep. you know, to the NBA. So, I mean, there, there's a factor in there of if you're losing guys and you're having to replace them with first year guys in the system, it's going to, you know, that's going to hold you back a bit. Pack line and one and done. Not really a great fit. <laughs> it's not, not really what you want to do. Are you saying that Sean Miller in Arizona <laughs> don't really look like they're lining up right now, Jared? Are you talking about saying? future, future IU assistant, Sean Miller? Is that what you're talking about? Um, I was say, that's the least of their problems, I think, at this point, but. So, so I want to talk, you know, I think we, so, you know, I said I had a few reasons. One is just the third year in the pack line, and that's an obvious one. We've talked a lot about how good our backcourt defense can be, and, and we'll touch on that here in a little bit. We've already touched on, on some of that. But Andy, what I, you know, one of the areas where I think Indiana can really improve, but I also have a question mark, and you talked about this, is that one of our biggest weaknesses last season defensively was when Juwan Morgan was defending the post. And this is obviously not entirely his fault. He was a six, seven guy who was guarding guys much bigger than him and was in a position where he couldn't foul because we had to have his offense. And that's why sometimes his post defense was very Matador-like. And he got torched. You know, he was, uh, he gave up 1.174 points per possession. He was pretty good everywhere else, but he really got torched down in the post. Now, there's reason to think that this should get better this year. The main reason is, knock on wood, Deron Davis being able to play more minutes. Because, you know, Deron Davis, we've talked about how efficient he is offensively. Defending the post gave up 0.674 points per possession last year. That's in the 93rd percentile. The only thing holding Deron Davis back from being an all-Big Ten player is just being able to get on the floor. I mean, the guy passes the ball well. He scores. He's a pretty good rim protector. He makes good decisions defensively. Yes, when he gets out in space, he can struggle. But defending on the block, he's really good. Now, Andy, here's the question that I have, because, you know, if we project Deron to play about 20 minutes a game, again, knock on wood, that's going to give you pretty good post defense and give you some flexibility lineup wise. What people may not realize is that Joey Brunk's post defense has been really poor so far, statistically. Now, obviously, there's room to improve, but he gave up 1.008 points per possession last year. That was in the 13th percentile. Not good. And so when he is out there, you're probably not going to play he and Deron together. But and he's not a rim protector, so you're probably going to need someone like a Trace Jackson Davis, who you know blocked 3.7 shots a game in high school, projects to be at least a decent you know shot blocker in the college level. You probably are going to have to pair those two guys together to give you adequate post defense down low. So you may have a little bit less lineup flexibility with Brunk there, especially against a team you know that really focuses on getting the ball down on the block. So I think if Duran can play more consistently, he is really going to help shore up you know that post defense. But it'll be interesting to see what Indiana does with Joey Brunk and how much he improves um, because that's where Indiana really got in trouble last year. And it could be a problem spot again, you know, if they can't kind of get it figured out when Joey's on the floor. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult. I mean, as he moves into a new system as well, you don't and I didn't watch enough Butler games last year to to really have a informed opinion uh, upon how their defensive scheme may have impacted his numbers defensively. Um, but I think the one thing to think about with Duran, and this is actually, I, I thought it was when you were talking about Juwan, I, some of his struggles, yes, were size. I think some of the others were, you know, he had various points where he was just trying not to pick up fouls. Uh, and I think that's something that quite honestly will be uh, a big factor for Duran as well. You know, in addition to health and those kinds of things, keeping him on the floor, he's gotten himself in foul trouble as well, as well at times. Um, so for him, I think it's finding ways to balance his, you know, defensive ability with staying on the court. Um, and so looks like he's got a little bit of, a little bit of room to do that given, um, you know, the percentile that he was in. So I think that's, 
that's going to be important for him. But I, I do agree. I think having a guy like Trace helps, uh, whether he's playing with Duran or with or with Joey Brunk. Uh, I think having that kind of rim protector, athleticism, and rebounding. Quite honestly, that's you know we haven't really touched on that. Some of the, you know having so many big guys to end the defensive possession, you got to get a rebound at some point. And I think this uh, has the makings of a pretty good uh, rebounding team uh, across the front line. So I, I don't know that there were many scenarios in which I would see you know Joey and Duran playing together at the same time anyway so we have the numbers that you gave w- would support that so uh, I don't know that that's a big deal I'm, I'm more one to kind of take the approach with with Joey to kind of see how he looks in this system and uh, does he look comfortable to some of the you know strength and uh, and some of the conditioning related things that he's been doing in the offseason contributed to a bit better defense and, and mobility uh, I, that, that kind of remains to be seen so I, I think the you know, even though it's been a couple of years for him, I think the jury's still out on what kind of defender he can be in this system. I don't think he's going to be elite by any means, um, but I think he can be you know, passable uh, as he gets more comfortable in the system. You know, and we saw what Race Thompson can do, and he's a guy that hasn't played extended minutes. You know, we need to see stay healthy as well, but he's a guy who can also, you know, do a good job down there. And Andy, you mentioned the rebounding. You know, Brunk has not been a guy statistically that's been a good rebounder. Duran is okay, but not a guy that really rebounds out of his area very much, as we've talked about, just doesn't have the mobility. I think for Indiana to be a really good rebounding team, you're going to need Justin Smith, Trace Jackson Davis, and Race Thompson to be relentless attacking the glass, you know, and really use their athleticism, use their activity, and obviously guard rebounding, which Archie has already talked about. Um, because I don't, you know, I don't think Duran and Joey Brunk are going to be the guys to go out there and get you, you know, like 12, 13 rebounds a game between them. They're going to have games where they get like one, two, or three. We've just seen it, you know, so I think some of those other guys are really going to have to step up, um, you know, and, and again, the backcourt D, we know what Rob can do. We've talked about Devonte. I think Al Durham is a guy, you know, Ryan, that, you know, you talked about, you know, sometimes a guy makes a mistake off the ball and that leads to, you know, the shot that everybody ends up seeing. Al has been a guy whose numbers on ball have been outstanding, like 84th percentile, 94th percentile. He's been a guy who's gotten lost. Like you can run him off picks and, and he gets lost sometimes in help. So I think, you know, but now he's going to be a junior, his third year. He should be better there. And so I think those three guys can really form one of the best, you know, backcourt defenses, you know, certainly in the conference. You know, I think they could be, you know, one of the best backcourt trios defensively in the country if things go well and they really mature in the system. And I think they're going to need to be uh, for Indiana to be good. The wild cards, you know, for what could swing Indiana to like a top 15 defense, you know, or, you know, kind of stunt their growth. What's up with Justin Smith? You know, that guy can be an elite defender when he's engaged. How yeah, consistently will we sure. see that? You know, the health of Jerome Hunter, Deron Davis, and Race Thompson, they're all impact defenders when they're healthy. We just haven't seen it, so it's hard to project it. And how ready are Trace and Armand to play defense? You know, it's a new system for them. Trace is going to get minutes. Armand is going to get minutes just based on how this roster is constructed. You know, they've got to go out there, and yes, they're going to make mistakes, but they can't be zeros on the defensive end. You know, they've got to be able to come out there and play. There's reason to believe that they will be ready given, you know, their physical and mental maturity. Um, you know, what of those question marks jump out to you, Ryan? And are there any other ones that you're kind of looking at as, you know, really that will dictate how good this defense can be? I, I think I think the big question mark for me is the wings. In college basketball, most of your top scorers are wings. Um, sometimes point guards do, but but mostly it's the wings. And and Justin Smith, Jerome Hunter, Demise Anderson, um, you know, even Al Durham can slide out to the wing because of his length at times to defend there. How are they going to be against elite type scorers? Um, you know, the kind of guys that are going to go to the NBA a year after a year or two in college. 
Can they shut them down? Can they slow them down? You don't have to stop guys in college. You just have to slow them down and make sure they don't just destroy you and run you off the court. Um, you don't have to be perfect, but you have to be able to at least provide some resistance. And can those guys do it? They certainly all physically have the ability to do it. It's whether or not they can actually get it done. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but, um, you know, it's, we're going to have to see it on the floor before we believe it. You know, I think, I think what comes up with certainly with Justin, you, you referenced it in the way you had it worded in our, our run sheet here, just, you know, when he's locked in, he can be really good. And I think maybe this is why we cling to that quote from Devante, because you want guys out there who really relish the opportunity to play defense and, and get excited about playing defense well. And I think that's something that this team really is going to have to embrace. You know, again, we can make arguments for why the offense might be a little bit better and less relying on certain guys and all that. But the reality of the situation from, from my standpoint is they have to want to be really good defensively and really lock in. And I think we talk about the mindset of the players that Archie's bringing in. They all seem to be guys who, who want to contribute on that end of the floor that all sounds good. You want to actually be able to, you know, see it on the floor. And I think that, that, that becomes really important is just seeing that desire um, to, to play well on that end of the floor and really put forth the effort uh, will be something that hopefully this team can get points off of because that was a way they could generate offense last year when it was struggling. And I think in some ways th- this team has guys still trying to work out of the, you know, mindset from the prior regime that, I'm going to get my confidence by how I play on the offensive end and and my offensive game is going to dictate everything versus what can I do defensively to really like gain some confidence and gain opportunities offensively through, uh, you know, through getting stops and through creating turnovers. And so, you know, that remains to be seen. It all sounds good until you actually see it on the floor, but pieces seem to be there. Just want to see guys who, uh, who, who actually really step up to that challenge. And we saw there's plenty of guys on this team that did that, the way they held Purdue down, uh, in that game at home, the way they, you know, you know, held Michigan State in that game that we were, you know, talking about before, like it's it's there. It just needs to be more consistent, like so many things. When you look back to to what we saw a year ago, Ryan, any final thoughts on the defense? Yeah, I just I think that as the point we made, I, I really think that it's going to be about experience in this defense before you know it gets better, and and uh, you know it, it, causing it to get better. I mean, um, it's it's really just you know guys getting used to playing with each other in this system. And and I think that's the biggest key. I don't think it's structural problems. I don't think it's anything like that. It's just getting used to doing it. And um, that's what's going to, that's what's going to lead this team to, to be a better defense. Sure. I do believe it'll be a better defense. I don't think it's, um, I don't think there's any question about it. Yeah, I think it will be too. All right, coming up in our third segment, we are going to answer your questions, including one about lineups, and then we're going to discuss the California law that uh, hopefully will push the NCAA to allow players to be able to profit from their name, image, and likeness. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. 
Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morrissey with Ryan Phillips and Andy Bottoms. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup, even during the offseason, to keep you up to date on everything going on with IU basketball. And then after every game, we also send out a detailed postgame analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. All right, time for the mailbag. We already answered one question uh, from Jay earlier, and we got a lot of questions about recruiting, so we kind of you know mixed some of those up there uh, in that uh, in our Who's Your Headline segment. So one more question here that we want to get to submitted in our private IU basketball discussion community at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, and this is from Andy. He says, please discuss possible starting lineups versus the Leathernecks. Uh, which must be the uh, nickname of Indiana's opening opponent. It says, mine consists of Devontae, Rob, Al, Justin, and Trace Jackson Davis, small, quick, and athletic. Or do you think they go big with Deron Davis or Brunk? Andy, what do you anticipate for the first game of the season? Well, that must mean I, I actually didn't remember who the first opponent was, but the Leathernecks is Western Illinois, so that must be the uh, that must be it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it I, you know, awesome I would, that you know that. That's well, gotta, gotta keep important nuggets like that around. You don't want to, you don't want to lose, lose track of things like that. In your That's mind. why you're my bracketologist. The, reward, the rewards of a misspent youth right there, knowing yeah. that yeah. they're the leathernecks. Yeah. I don't know what anybody's birthday is. I don't know anything else, but I know, anyway, so, um, I, you know, for me, I think the, that, that you, you pretty much lock in Rob and Devonte in the backcourt. I yeah. really think Duran is going to start um, based on sounds like, positive off season for him, senior leader. I, I, I yeah. think he'll be in there. Uh, and so then it really becomes the, the, you know, the last couple of spots trying to figure out what you do. I think the, uh, I'm inclined to say trace would start at the four and then it really becomes the, that swing position at the three of, do you go with more of a three guard look and, and play Al or do you play Justin? Uh, I guess I will lean toward Justin, even though if it was me, I would probably lean toward Al. Um, but I'm just trying to, you know, kind of put yourself in, in Archie's shoes and what he might do. And if Al really is the you know, backup ball handler, do you, you run him out with the starting lineup? I don't really know. So um, I'll say Archie might lean toward Justin, but I would I would play the, the three guard look. I would not be surprised if Joey Brunk starts just because of how well regarded he is from the leadership angle. I, I, I think one of them will start. And I think it's probably 50-50, you know, depending on who it is. Between I think I think Duran's the better player. Talking about Joey and Duran? Okay. Yeah. I think I, the, the two of them are not going to play together, obviously, but I do think one of them will be out there. Um, I think mean, depending I, on lineups, they might be in at the same time, but not for long stretches of time. You know, you might see them on the floor for a three-minute stretch when we're trying to go uber big or something like that. But I agree. I don't think they'll be on the floor at the same time a whole lot. Yeah. But, you know, look forward to seeing. And obviously, as practice goes and we start hearing some of those reports and figuring out who all's healthy and ready to go, because the other guy that could be starting is Jerome Hunter. You know, hopefully he's out we'll there see. in the starting lineup. So, yeah, I think he's the only figure out. If I have to answer this question, it's Devontae and Robert, definitely the starters in the backcourt to open the season. Uh, and then I would put Al out there because of his defense. I mean, I know he was. I'd one put of him out more- there because of his shooting. Well, I was just about to say, he was one of our more consistent shooters last year as well. But the reason I'm putting him out there is because of his defense on the wing. I think he's the most accomplished wing defender on this team, despite his lack of size. He does have the length to play out there, but he's also a guy who can stop a wing player. I don't have the confidence that Justin Smith can do that consistently. Now, if Jerome Honor is fully healthy and raring to go, maybe he takes that wing spot. Um, but I, we can't see that. It's the ideal that. scenario. But. Yeah. Um, so I would say Devontae, Rob, and Al... Um, as Andy, uh, proposed the other Andy who asked the question proposed, and then I would say it's going to be trace at the four and, um, 
Deron Davis at the five. I think you got to put Deron Davis out there to open games. He intimidates other teams. He's solid. If he's healthy, he's solid. He's smart. And he is the leader. I think he's, we saw it on the court a lot last year. I'll never forget what the guy fouled Romeo and Deron got right up in his face at the inbounds. Just like, uh, uh-uh, you're not doing that anymore. And you know, that kind of stuff that guy needs to be on the court. Now, maybe he doesn't play more minutes than everybody else, but maybe he's doing, you know, 20 minutes a game and that's all his body can handle. But that's a guy who I like opening a game. And 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 set helping set a tone. Just some a big, easy, bas- easy baskets early, and and a big tough guy. You know, I mean, this is the Big Ten after all. You know, you need you can never have enough of those kind of guys. All right, so let's spend a little bit of time talking about the California law. Uh, folks who listened to the podcast heard me and Coach and Dylan uh, talk about it last week, but just you know to kind of reset so we can actually talk about it here on the radio show for a few minutes. Long California that basically is not going to allow universities to prohibit players from profiting off of their name, image, and likeness. The reason why this is an issue is because that is against NCAA rules. So schools would now have to choose, do we want to violate the law or do we want to violate NCAA rules? They're clearly going to choose not to violate the law. So the question is, what does the NCAA do? Do you let these teams compete for championships or especially as other states do it, like New York has one coming, other states may have one coming. Is the, yeah, is the NCA going to have to bend to the will, the public pressure, the laws, all of this, and change this? I'm on record saying, you know, I think players should be able to profit from their name, image, and likeness. Uh, Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander did a great podcast about this, Ion College Basketball Podcast, a, uh, a week ago. Ryan, I know that you have some hot opinions on this. Let's get your thoughts and Andy's. And again, I gave mine last week. Well, it, first of all, all this law is from California is putting the governor hasn't signed it yet. He will, but it is putting a timetable on the NCA making changes. The NCA has said for years that they're going to make changes. They're going to make, you know, they're going to change things up and, you know, make it more fair for players aware, but they haven't done anything. What this does is says in 2023, January 1st, 2023, players can start hiring agents to negotiate deals uh, for them. That's all it says. It does not change the fundamental relationship between a school and a player. It's still a scholarship. You still, you know, get your stipend, have all your, you have your classes paid, whatever. This does not allow schools to pay players, as I think. But, a but lot Yogi of people, could be on a billboard for yogis and get money from yogis. Exactly. That's yeah. that's what it is, and it allows these players. Everybody else is profiting off their likeness. Everybody else, and these players, some of them get one meal a day. Some of them can't live off campus because they can't afford it with their stipend. There are plenty of issues with the way this is. I remember talking to or hearing about a player who was at Indiana who had to live in a dorm because of his stipend and his family didn't have a whole lot of money. And the problem with living in a dorm as like after your freshman year, like sophomore, junior, if you're an athlete is everybody knows where you live and he couldn't go back to his dorm and just relax. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't do, you know, or, or study or anything in his dorm, like a normal college student. We always hear, well, they're just normal college students. You know, we want them to be normal college students who just happen to play a sport. Well, he couldn't do anything because people kept coming by his room, pounding on the door, wanting to a get like pictures and autographs with him or B hang out because they'd be hanging out with a basketball player. These kids, so a lot of them can't afford rent at off-campus apartments and things like that, depending on where they are. I mean, look, in, in Bloomington, you could probably afford rent with your stipend. In other towns, you can't. And, and so you're forcing these kids to live uh, kind of a, a weird existence where they're students, 
but they're essentially full-time employees of the university. And if there's a guy who's famous enough to make money off of his likeness, the fact that the NCA prevents that is kind of insane because how many billions has the NCAA have these universities, have their conferences, have TV networks made off of these guys? And there's no real reason other than they're amateurs. Well, you know, your idea of amateurism, I think, is screwed up. They're not on salary, but I mean, they're not, yeah, they're not on salary. So clearly they're still amateurs, but they should be able to make money off of their likeness that is being used by everybody else. And to me, that's the issue here is that these guys are providing such value for to other people for free. And they didn't approve that. They didn't say, yes, you can use my likeness on the front of your magazine. Yes, you can use this. You can use that. You can use whatever. They just have to deal with it. And I don't think it's fair. And I don't think it's ever been fair. And some of these kids come from areas that, you know, that money could really, really help them. I don't know what Andy thinks, but that's where I'm at. Andy? Yeah, I, the ability to the ability to do it, I'm all for. I think in the NCAA is spending time trying to figure out how to not let people do it as, as opposed to spending time trying to figure out how to make it work. There are, it, it does get to be a slippery slope of what can a, you know, can a booster sign somebody to some ridiculous deal and that becomes a recruiting tool and all those things. Right. You'd have to, you have to CBS podcast. They talked about that. So from, from my standpoint, I'd rather the NCAA instead of like continuing to kind of put their head in the sand, actually work with people to try to figure out like how they make it work and put some rules and parameters around it so that it's not abused, but so that there's some ability for, for people to actually benefit from, you know, what they're, what they're doing in a way above and beyond what their scholarship is, if there's a market for them to do so. Ryan, we got about 30 seconds left. Yeah. I would just say that if you're, again, I mentioned this earlier in the opening, if you're an intelligent, you want to be an intelligent fan of college sports, investigate this, look into it, look at writings from both sides of the issue and decide, and, and just realize that a lot of these students, a lot of these guys don't have a whole lot of money. And they're being forced to live on very little and have very little given to them. We think they're rock stars and they're, and they're, they're projected like rock stars. So that's what I would say is that this is a law that would allow them to take some control over how their likeness is displayed. That's yep. it. We're done. No more questions. All righty. That is going to do it for us on this week's episode of The Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com. Or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing most of the music that you hear on the show. And thank you, of course, for listening. We'll be back to talk with you again next Thursday night. Until then. Take it from me, Robert Johnson. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right. I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. And cut. Yeah, you know, and I the biggest point from that from that podcast that Parrish and Norlander had that I agreed with is like, yeah, it's probably gonna get a little bit out of hand and it's gonna be a recruiting tool and the big schools are gonna have more resources to do it. How is that that much different than how things are now? And it just takes some of the money that might be donated to the athletic club or that might go into facilities that a booster might pay and puts it directly into the pocket of the player you know, for, uh, you know, some sort of sponsorship or whatever it is. And to me, that doesn't seem that outlandish. And I just, 
yeah, there would be an adjustment period, but then it would become the new normal, and I just don't think it would be that big of a deal. People talk about, like, you know, is, is this going to create animosity among the players? Like, I mean, look at, I mean, in the NBA, you know, certain guys have huge endorsement deals and other guys don't. Like, I think guys kind of have an understanding of where they are in the pecking order, and, like, you know the stars are going to get more, and if a guy, you know, I mean, if you have an issue with that, I think you have a general chemistry issue anyway. Like I think that would be a manifestation yeah, no, it's of on the coach problem, to figure that not out. the cause of the problem. Yeah. So yeah, and 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 look, I I think that you've gotten to the point with college athletics where it's clear. And and look, for example, Shabazz Napier at the Final Four a couple of years ago talked about how he would go to bed hungry all the time because they didn't have enough money uh, to to buy food and things like that, and they only provided one meal a day, and you could only get one snack a day or something like that. So the NCAA looked Is that, at that still the case. No, they, they got that, right? so much bad press that they opened it so they can get unlimited okay. snacks. I was gonna say. You'll only have to provide one meal a day, though. It's like those kids should get unlimited meals if they want. Like, you know what I mean? Like, at, you know, in, at the team facility, I mean, it's it's insane. You've got 300 pound offensive linemen only getting one meal a day provided to them. Those guys to maintain their weight have to eat five meals a day, like, you know, minimum. And, and so it's. I just think it's ridiculous that we're talking about this, especially when we're talking about the Zion was the perfect example. And I think that the momentum was created by him because he was everywhere last year. He was on every magazine, every TV show, every billboard, all of that. And he got nothing for that. Well, you know, Nike might've given us some money, but we don't know that. Um, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? I mean, it's like that guy was making everybody millions of dollars and he got none of it from them. And, and that's unfair to me. And that, that just seems like it's because of our backwards view of amateurism and that the amateurism is this thing to, you know, be lauded and stuff. It's not, it's not 1950 anymore. You know, it's just, it's a different world. And these guys, you know, their careers are short. They're, they're, you know, for most of them, they, they may not even make it to the NBA. One injury and, you know, your draft stock falls. You can, you know, wind up making nothing as a, as an NBA player if you, you know, don't develop. Um, or NFL, same thing. You know, your stock can drop, all that stuff. And yeah. some of these guys need to take advantage while they can. And and it's only fair if they are... Uh, a perfect example was Matt Leinert when he decided to come back to USC. And this is this is one of the things, hearing these stories is what turned me around on it. Years later, I heard these stories. Was when he decided to come back to, to USC for a senior year after winning the Heisman Trophy. And he was projected to be the number one pick in the draft and all this stuff. And he decided to come back and he was lauded everywhere for, oh my gosh, how awesome. He's going back to school. You know, it's great for college football. It's great for athletic, you know, amateur athletics, all this stuff. He was on the cover of every magazine. He was doing TV interviews everywhere. He got nothing for that. And he went back to school. And because he was, quite frankly, at that point, one of the most recognizable athletes in the country because of, you know, winning a national championship, all this stuff, he was doing all this press. He couldn't live on campus, obviously, and he was also 22. He wasn't going to live on campus. And so he the only apartment he could afford was an apartment right off campus. It's in LA, so it's more expensive and the stipends aren't, you know, tested for, you know, how expensive the rent is in a different area or whatever. The only apartment he could afford was right off campus. And it, you know, the the apartments were broken into regularly. There were rats everywhere. It's like, it's like this guy is making people millions of dollars and he's living in a rat infested apartment in a bad area of town that's getting broken into and people with guns are walking around and things like that. I mean, it's 
how ridiculous is that? That guy could have made millions and he opted not to, and he opted to play by the rules and not take money from people. And he suffered as a result of it. And, you know, at some point, his parents, who were not super wealthy people, just moved him out because and moved him to a, an apartment in downtown LA and spent tons of money just so he would be secure. Because by the way, if you're the top college football player in the country and somebody breaks in and pistol whips you or, you know, whatever it, you know, your career could be injured. And, and so it, it's, it's just an insane situation where somebody that famous is having to be put through something that they shouldn't have to be put through because everybody else is making money off of them. Yeah, and the common counter that you'll get to that like with Zion as well. Look at how much he built his brand while he was at Duke and all the money he makes now. And that's fine, but that doesn't mean that he still shouldn't make it at the time because that could all by go, the way, like in the moment. And by the way, Zion would have been a top five pick without Duke too. So, you know, it's he could have gone anywhere and he would have been a top. He could have gone from high school. He could have gone and played in Europe, whatever. Uh, you know, so I just, I reject that argument. Uh, these kids a Leatherneck at Western Illinois. These kids are in college because they have to be, not because they need to be, you know, or not because they want to be. They're there because they need to be. So, um, you know, Zion could have been an NBA player out of high school. I think that we all accept that. And, and so could a lot of uh, these other yeah. guys. Um, yeah, I, I think that that it's just the fact that if now look, if schools, if the NCA, if all these other people weren't making billions of dollars, I mean the NCA is technically a nonprofit, which is hysterical. But it, but if all these other entities weren't making all this money off them, then I'd probably feel differently about it. But they're making billions and it's off the backs of free labor. And of course they're gonna fight to not have to let their free labor get paid. Um so it's just disingenuous to me. It's about it for them. It's not about amateurism or any principles or anything like that. It's about money. And that's why they're against it because all that money is right now is being piped into their, their, their schools. I mean, do you think that do you really think Nike is going to sign a, a school to a huge athletics deal? If they can just give the players something, you know, instead, I mean, that's where you're going to start to see some debate. Now I still think there'll be shoe deals and stuff like that with teams, um, and with athletic departments, but it's certainly going to change if they can just target the players directly. So that that's my thoughts on it. I think it's a pretty obvious move, and I'm proud of California for being the first ones to, yeah, you know, assuming the governor signs it, which it looks like he's going to. Um, I think that that's, you know, no, the I think that's absolutely the right move, and I think I'm glad they put a clock on the NCA to do something about it. We owe it to them. We do owe it to him a little. We do owe, we do owe it to him. Because this ain't about education. It sure as hell ain't much about basketball. It's about money. <laughs> there you go. All right, I could do that all night. Need to stop. <laughs> Need to stop. Andy, any final thoughts on that? No, I mean, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think you guys, you guys touched on it and... Need to find a way to need to find a way to make it work. So, like I said, yeah, I think, that's the the issue, as you said, is fighting it as opposed to actually like figuring out like how it can be how it can be a workable situation for everybody. So. No, and you're right. I mean, actually implementing it is going to be an issue, and and there's going to be some bumps in the road, like what's legal, what's not, and all that. The NCA has rules for everything. They'll figure it out. You know, I mean, if they want to do certain things, like like I said, I mean, for example, like a booster that owns a company can't, you know pay uh it can't be one of the things sponsoring a kid that plays for that team like if you donate money to school you can't you know get a scholar a sponsorship deal with a kid if you know that going in you can't really complain about it you know um 
So I, I they will figure it out, I think. Yep. All right, everybody. Thank you for being here. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday. We'll be here as usual, as normal. Probably start doing some player previews. What do you think? Probably. Man, Hoosier hysteria. Yeah, Hoosier hysteria is coming. Practice is starting. Get ready. Get ready. Oh, Three shows wait, a week is coming. <laughs> show, you mean the offseason shows are over? They're, oh, man. Get ready. The season is going to be here. We got a November full of cupcakes, and then everything really, you know, Tires meet the road in December. Let's see what this team has, man. I'm ready. I'm intrigued by this I'm season. Lots of question marks, but lots of enthusiasm. Let's do this. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. Later, guys. See you. Thanks, fellas. everybody. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.